0: Love, talk Radio. Hello, welcome to this installment of our AFC North podcast on Twenty Four Seven Sports. My name is Brian Diardo. Joshua Edwards of Twenty Four Seven Sports will be joining us as well as we look back at uh, the week that was and the Week One regular season results for all four AFC North teams. We had uh, one or two matchups between two AFC North teams, uh, and now. Uh, we'll look ahead to week two as well between, uh, the Ravens and their matchup at the Steelers matchup and, uh, nobody will be playing against each other. Uh, so it's going to be, well, I take that back. Actually, the Browns will be playing the Ravens and we'll get to that as well. We're going to be joined now, uh, by Joshua Edwards, again, of 24 seven sports. Josh, how are you, uh, how you doing this, uh, this afternoon, sir?
1: Doing pretty well, Brian. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Just kind of doing our little intro here. What were your – and let's take it, you know, one game at a time. If we recap real quick week one before we look ahead to week two, uh, the Steelers won a very entertaining and close game against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Steelers fans in the aftermath, uh, most of them not satisfied with the outcome. Uh, And that's kind of been the narrative in Pittsburgh the last couple of days where you've had Ben Roethlisberger coming out and saying a win is a win and things of that nature. There's questions that maybe the Steelers are, quote-unquote, freezing out Le'Veon Bell, which I find laughable. Um, if you watch the game, the Browns simply just took him away, and uh, the penalties didn't help Pittsburgh either, trying to have a balanced offense. They were forced to throw a lot, but I digress. Deshaun Kaiser played very well, over 200 passing yards, completed about 67% of his passes, and, I mean, the game came down to the wire, and I think it's safe to say if Antonio Brown doesn't have a heroic effort, uh, the Steelers don't win that game. On the other side, uh, the Ravens completely outclassed the Bengals Bengals without Vontae's perfect. He'll be out the next couple of games with his suspension for just being Vontae's perfect. <laughs> uh, Andy Dalton, the pressure, I think, in Cincinnati, squarely on him. Four interceptions. Joe Flacco, a very workmanlike day, had one deep completion for a touchdown to Jeremy Macklin. But besides that, it was pretty much uh, the Ravens' two headed monster running back, led by Terrence West, the former Brown. They get about 150 yards on the ground, the Ravens do. And again, they win 20 to nothing. So. That's the week one that was. Josh and I do a power rankings. We had Pittsburgh at one, Baltimore at two, the Browns at three, and the Bengals at four. So now that we've kind of set the table for you, Josh, and our listeners, let's look back at the Steelers-Browns game first. I'm a Steelers writer. You're a Browns writer. So this is obviously the one that we were way more dialed into. Uh, what is your take uh, from week one? And, and I'll, I'll ask with a more specific question, which is, was week one more the steelers were a little rusty, or was it that the Browns may just be a better team than a lot of people thought they would be?
1: Uh, you know, it could be a combination of both. I think, I think the Browns probably are a better team than what most people give them credit for. Just you know, based on kind of the reviews and stuff that I've heard this off season, um, Sports Nation at, at ESPN had predicted that the Browns could go 0 and 16 this season, which you know, I thought was pretty laughable. I think they've got a more talented roster than a lot of teams in the NFL. And, um, you know, we kind of saw that a little bit on Sunday. I mean, everywhere you look, the Browns are pretty young. Um, You know, there's guys in their first or second year in the league, and and they were making, um, you know, some big plays for this team. So probably a little early in the process to be expecting them to, you know, come out with victories in those situations. But uh, it was at least a positive that they were able to – you know, keep it close with Pittsburgh because there was a time in the game where it looked like, you know, it could get out of hand. So the fact that Cleveland was even able to, you know, kind of fight back into the mix was at least a visual image of of taking a step in the right direction.
0: Right, and I think in general, you know, the crowd was into it. It was exciting. And, I mean, honestly, and I know that Steelers fans may scoff at this because it was a quote-unquote meaningless game. I never think Brown Steelers games are meaningless But you look back on week 17. Now we've had two weeks in a row, or two matchups in a row, Pittsburgh-Cleveland that were good games. You know, week 17 last year came down to overtime, and obviously Sunday. You know, if if Antonio Brown doesn't catch that 38-yard miracle pass, I mean, the Browns get the ball back and they have a chance to win the game. Um, And you know, you look at and Mike Tomlin said this about the Steelers defense: they had seven sacks. But Tomlin was more impressed with the fact that that Crowell was a non-factor. Everybody's talking about how bad of a game Le'Veon Bell had, and rightfully, uh, you know, Crowell is not really the same elk as Bell, but Crowell, I would say, is a a solid NFL running back, and certainly, you know, obviously he's a starter. Uh, He didn't have a great game either, I believe 33 yards on 17 carries. Deshaun Kaiser, though, 67% of his passes completed 20-30, to uh, about 221 yards, rushed for a score, threw for a score, held the ball, I think we both would agree, a little too long, early in the game. It seemed like it did seem like it was going to get out of hand early. I mean, the Steelers' defense came out red hot, getting after the quarterback. Chicolo with some sacks. T.J. Watt with some sacks. Uh, the Steelers didn't have Dupree. And, and there's a lot of people saying now that they would actually like to see Chicolo start over Dupree, even when Bud's healthy, which is a totally other discussion. But what's your take on on Kaiser's performance and, uh, and what Browns fans uh, can expect between his growth in week one and week two?
1: yeah I think it's it's twofold, just as you would expect with any rookie quarterback. There were some positives to take away, and then uh you've got the obvious negatives, which was the fact that he he held on to the football too long and uh made a couple of poor decisions as well. He had the the interception to t j watt that was you know completely off the mark of of where the ball should have been thrown but uh you know aside from that, he was just a little slow with his decision making I think I read that. Um, You know, he got rid of the ball on average about 5.09 seconds, which is much slower than the average in 2016, which was roughly 4.48 seconds. So uh, the decision-making has to speed up, but that's something that you kind of get with a rookie quarterback. It's, you know, it's it's a learning process. He's got to develop each and every week, and that's going to be, you know, the, the emphasis in practice this week is trying to get him through his Progressions a little bit quicker and know when to tuck the ball and run it um, in those situations. But uh, in reading some people that are, are much smarter than me when it comes to evaluating the quarterback position, um, you know they they pointed out that Cleveland did not try to hide anything from him. They allowed him to run the full playbook. Um, they they had a lot of confidence in him, unlike what. You know the Eagles had with Carson Wentz in Week One last season. Carson Wentz had a very vanilla playbook in terms of how they, you know, allowed him to play the game. Mm. That simply was not the case with Deshaun Kaiser. They they tossed him out there and, uh, you know, allowed him to run the full playbook and make calls at the line. And you know, I think he did uh, did the best with the situation. So uh, very optimistic debut for Deshaun Kaiser, but you know, ultimately it is just one week in the NFL. So. Uh, let's, let's see if he's able to do it at a sustained pace. But if nothing else, there's at least room for, you know, some optimism.
0: Definitely. And I, I think that's, you know, for Browns fans, you go through one in 15 season, um, you know, I, I, and like you said, some some pundits I think incorrectly said that they may not even win a game this year, which I, I don't agree with, obviously. It, it's funny, though, the expectations. And in Pittsburgh right now, the whole thing is – you know, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of negativity and it's surprising, even to the point when, you know, Vince Williams, Stewart's starting linebacker came out on social media and said we're never gonna apologize for, for a win. Uh even a quote unquote ugly win is better than a beautiful loss. I've never really seen a beautiful loss, so I guess he can tell, you can help me with that one but if you can. But uh you know and then you've got the late whole Avion Bell thing, which pretty much yesterday, you know, Mike Tomlin shut it all down. Uh Didi Kikabwala of N F L network asked him about Bell he said, you know, you can sing the Le'Veon Bell Camp song all you want. This is week two. We're moving on to the Vikings. Like, I'm done with it. So, you know, I, I just think for the Steelers, if you're looking ahead to week two, obviously you want another win, get the 2-0. Oh, but I think the biggest thing is I, I would like to see, from a Steelers standpoint, a decisive victory. They're favored by seven, which is big, against, you know, Minnesota, who's a, who's a good team. They looked really good um, against the Saints at home on Monday night. You do get the you know the Vikings on a short week, traveling to Pittsburgh, uh, you know Bradford, you know completes you know, completed about eighty percent of his passes, which was pretty remarkable. Had a lot of you know down the field throws, but I think for Steeler fans, you know I, I I think that one decisive victory I think would settle and quiet a lot of the noise in Pittsburgh. Let's move ahead to the Bengal game. Again, Josh Edwards, Brian Yard with twenty four seven Sports, AFC North podcast week two edition. We summarize the action from the previous week and look ahead to what's coming up next and. Before we go ahead to week two, let's talk about that uh, Ravens game against the Bengals. And and you know, Josh, the Bengals are coming. You know, coming from a six nine and one season, they made the playoffs each year from eleven uh, to, to fifteen. Uh, last year was a step back. And you, you heard all off season. I remember reading an article about how Andy Dalton really had improved his mechanics in the off season. You know, they were getting perfect. You know, they still have him. They signed him to an extension right before the year. You know, but then he gets hit with a with a. Uh, you know, the three-game suspension. And then, you know, you saw him get in a fight during practice uh, this year around training camp time. You just see a lot of the same issues. And, obviously, Dalton, maybe his worst game of his career. They don't have Hugh Jackson anymore. And that's really, if you say, what was one of the biggest differences between Cincinnati 15 and Cincinnati 16? Well, Hugh Jackson left. Uh, and he doesn't look – Dalton doesn't look the same. A.J. Green had a very pedestrian day. You know, 74 yards receiving. The, the running game wasn't there. You you always know Baltimore's going to have a good defense with with John Harbaugh as as the coach, Uh, and even before him they had a great defense. But, man, you you don't think at home in week one you're going to get shut out and and commit five turnovers. Baltimore, 20 points, 10 of them off turnovers. Uh, Brian, I mean, you said it last week on the show that you think within two years the Browns may be better than the Bengals. Do you think actually you might take that down from two years maybe even this year that happens?
1: Uh yeah I mean it it definitely looks like that process might have been sped up a little quicker than I initially imagined but you know you kind of touched on some of the stuff that that was the reasoning behind that claim for me I I think the Bengals offense was much worse uh when Hugh Jackson was not the signal caller I think um you know the loss of Hugh Jackson was much Bigger than what it was portrayed in the media, and I think that's why you saw Andy Dal- Andy Dalton struggle last year, uh, and I think that's why you've seen him struggle early this year. But um, that team is just not built right now for sustained success. I mean, if you look at Marvin Lewis, the guy that was probably probably should have been fired about five years ago, and and that's not even an opinion based on uh, you know being a Browns fan or a football fan in general, but the feeling in Cincinnati alone is that, you know, Marvin Lewis's time has has far expired in Cincinnati. So the fact that he's still coaching, he needs to be thanking his lucky stars because, uh, you know, he hasn't gotten it done for this this franchise to this point. But um, I think, you know, the Browns are trending up, so that was a part of my, my feeling as well. But it's as much to do with the Bengals' downfall as it is Cleveland's uprise, and I think – uh, you know the fact that Cincinnati keeps empowering these these guys that get arrested, and you know they take chances in the draft, whether it be injuries or uh, you know criminal records. I think that eventually fosters this negative culture in the locker room that's eventually going to eat the team from the inside out. And uh, you know I think that's kind of what we're seeing at this point in time. I don't think there's enough vocal leadership in that locker room for the right reasons. Um, you know, to to really make something of this final couple-year window that the Bengals might have. I think, uh, you know, like I said, it's it's probably likely that Cleveland is going to pass them in two years, and after week one, you know, this could be the year because Cincinnati just put forth an absolutely atrocious uh, performance on Sunday against the, the Baltimore Ravens it looked like
0: there wasn't a lot of people there it looked like the seats were pretty empty at the start and they didn't sell out maybe they, maybe they sold out on paper but there it was not a sellout crowd yeah it just seems like the energy in Cincinnati is just very low right now and I know it's more of a baseball town but still I mean that place should be rocking for a team that's made the playoffs five out of the last six years it wasn't they didn't give their fans anything to cheer about and, and I, I agree with 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 something that you said Josh well a lot of what you pretty much everything you said, but the, the one main thing I took out of that was, you know, what is, uh, you know, the feeling in the locker room? What is, what is the narrative of that team? And I think in in, in Baltimore, you've got a team that's like, r- regardless of the weapons we have, we're going to assemble a team that's going to build on our strengths, avoid try to avoid our weaknesses, and do what it takes to win football games. You always see that with the Ravens. Even the years they're not as good – They'll always give you their best punch, and and it seems like this year it's going to be they'll pick and choose when they take their shots in the passing game. They're going to have a two-headed monster running the football, led by Terrence West, um, and they're going to have a great defense again. That's going to thrive on trying to to get turnovers and then conversely capitalize on them. Like you're seeing the rate, you know, that that, like that's the Ravens' formula for success. I think for the Browns, it's patience, continuing to, to build playmakers around Kaiser. He's going to be. You know, pretty much like, like like V. Brown's offense. You're going to use Crowell to balance it out, but it's going to be a lot of, of shotguns and Kaiser rolling around. And that's going to – you know, he's going to take his lumps as he, as he learns. But I, I like the fact that Cleveland's going to start with him. And their defense looks pretty stingy, and they're going to be aggressive with Greg Williams. They're going to take away one part of your offense, and you're going to have to figure out a way to overcome it. And that's what the Steelers saw on Sunday with Greg Williams. Hey, we're taking away Le'Veon Bell. We're taking away your secondary receivers. You're going to have to force it to AB to beat us. And the Steelers did that. They were able to do that, but it wasn't easy. What is the narrative for the Bengals? What's their recipe for victory? Because it can't be Andy Dalton willing the ball down the field. It can't be. So you're going to have to have somewhat of like a pseudo, like kind of like what the Steelers try to have offensively, which is we're going to go with what's working. That's what the Steelers do. If it's Le'Veon Bell, it's Le'Veon Bell. If it's Ben, it's Ben. It, 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 it cannot be Andy Dalton leading that offense. It just can't be. And, you know, the Bengals' defense still, I think, is one of the better units in the league. Um, but, you know, even even really good defenses can't overcome five turnovers. So, you know, yeah, Brian, I, I think it's going to be interesting. Now, the one team that we really haven't talked about a lot are the Ravens. What do you make of them? They play the Browns. And this kind of segues us into week two here on the AFC North podcast with Josh Edwards and Brian Diardo. As we segue now into week two, what are your thoughts about the Browns versus Ravens? You know, we already we talked mostly about the Ravens' positives, getting the five turnovers, having success on the ground, but Flacco only completed 9 of 17 passes. It seems like, you know, Macklin is their only a really good receiver. I mean, Wallace is in his 30s now. He's not what he once was. Mike Wallace's game is most of predicated on speed. Um, they only scored 20 points when they got five turnovers. So, you know, what are your thoughts about Cleveland's chances? It, I, I do feel bad for Cleveland from the standpoint, the standpoint is you're going to face two of the most physical teams in the NFL in consecutive weeks. You know that's I think kind of the, the one thing that kind of stinks with, with the Browns. The schedule makers didn't do them any favors starting the season with Pittsburgh and then going to Baltimore. But what are your thoughts about that matchup and uh, Cleveland taking on the I'm sure the favored Ravens. I haven't seen this point the point spread. Well, what was it eight and a half for the seven and a half for the Ravens? I think. So what are your thoughts going into that game?
1: Well, I think you can look at it as a positive or a negative to, you know, to play a couple of strong teams like the Steelers and the Ravens early in the season. I think, uh, you know, those are obviously the two premier teams in the AFC North right th- right now, and uh, you know, for Cleveland to be able to come out and try to, you know, prove themselves against these other teams is a good opportunity to kind of let them know where they stand against their competition um, going into the rest of the year. And if those are two of your toughest opponents in terms of defense this season then you know it's a good start for Deshaun Kaiser because everything after this week is going to be somewhat of of a relief for him so if he's able to come out of this with his confidence high I think it, it bodes well for the next uh, you know couple games and, and throughout the season until we meet you know the Ravens and the Steelers again but as far as this individual matchup is concerned, I, I think the Ravens have a couple of injuries at key positions. It doesn't look like they're going to have uh, Danny Woodhead this week. Uh, it doesn't look like Zadarius Smith is going to play. And then the, the situation with Eric Weddle is a little up in the air too. He He's dealing with an illness a little bit, so I would imagine uh, some heavy IVs over the course of the week and he'll be ready to go on Sunday. But uh, I would expect Cleveland to put forth a little better performance on Sunday than what the Bengals did a week ago uh, which is not hard to do by any stretch of the imagination that was just again just an awful performance by the Bengals and and really they didn't do anything to hang their hats on so uh, you know Baltimore was able to kind of cut down the game so to speak with uh, you know how much they eventually ran the ball because they were in control of the game the the whole game so I think if Cleveland is able to build some momentum early in this game Uh, you know they'll have a chance to win it at the end but I think the likely outcome is that uh, Baltimore probably moves to 2-0 with another strong defensive performance but uh, really the most that you can ask for out of this game is that your your young players continue to grow and uh, you come out healthy and ready for the next part of the season.
0: Yeah and I think I think that's that's a realistic, you know, thoughts on, on Sunday's game, and I would agree with that. I think that the Ravens win. It's not that, you know, it's not an indictment against the Browns. It's just, it's reality. I mean, you're facing a Ravens team that you, you, you've got a, a great coach, John Harbaugh, you've got Joe Flacco, who's who I think his greatest strength is, is not, you know, he understands the game plan. He understands his limitations, and not even limitations, but just what has to get done, and even the limitations of his team. You know, he understands that this is not a team that, he can just sit back and fire the ball around and and, and things are going to work that way. You know, they've got a formula for success. He understands that, you know, I think for the Ravens, the big story for them, this season is going to be, you know, we're not going to beat ourselves. If a team just lines up, plays better than us out out executes us and wins, that's fine. Um, But we're not going to beat ourselves. And, you know, that was emblematic in their first victory, and I think for the Browns, if if you're going to win, obviously, it's going to be getting pressure on Flacco because Flacco will force turnovers. I think I saw a stat last year that Joe Hayden had three interceptions against uh, the Ravens in two games, so you know, Flacco will turn over the football, uh, but they've got to do a good job shutting down the run. They're going to have to force Flacco into some third downs. I mean, that's going to be the key to to victory. Also, obviously, not turning the ball over. Uh, I don't I mean, I don't think actually the, the – well, they had the block pump, but the, off, the offense, the Browns had no turnovers, which was a – well, they had the wide interception late, so that was obviously a big one. But until that point, no turnovers. Um, so they've got to keep doing that. But I think for the Browns, I think the biggest thing, honestly, is they've got to do a better job on third downs. I and mean, they were 3 of 12 against the Steelers. If, you're key, if you continuously, against a team that likes to run the ball, and the Ravens, putting your defense out there, that's going to kill you. So I think for the Browns, you know A lot of what they did against Pittsburgh, but not turn the ball over, I think they're going to start out a lot better because K- Kaiser's not going to hold on to the ball as much, I don't think, as he did in week one. But I don't think that changes the outcome. I do think the Ravens win this one, but I think just like week, uh, week one against Pittsburgh, I think this will be a close game. Uh, and the Browns, you know, they'll drop the 0-2, but they're going to continue to show progress. Um, now let's talk Bengals. They play on um, Thursday night. They're going to be taking on Houston at home, Thursday night football. Um, Houston did not look good in week one. They have a good defense, but the offense is kind of in shambles. They don't really don't have a reliable quarterback. I don't see Cincinnati, you know, falling to 0-2. That's why I think I'm going to pick them to win. Um, and that's one thing we're going to start doing on the podcast. We're going to pick, and then we're going to have overall records by season then. So, Josh, I got you down to the Browns' loss, correct?
1: Yeah, yep.
0: Okay, so we both have that. We both have Ravens' wins. And I'm going to go with the Bengals in this one just because, like I said, I mean, there's not really any tangible reason. Except that their back's against the wall. They got to, they got to win. Uh, they can't fall to 0 and two, not in this division. Because I'm going to assume that Pittsburgh. Won't, well, we'll get, we'll get to that one. But we're at least at Like we already got the Ravens to two and zero. You don't want to start. I mean, obviously, there's a long way to go. I mean, after Sunday, but you don't want to fall to, you know, two games back in the North. Uh, or just in your division after one game, so or two weeks. So I got Cincinnati. I would, I think they may mix it up. Maybe they play, uh, you know, Nixon more, uh, mix in their their rookie running back. Maybe they play him more. He didn't play much in his first game. You always hear how good he is. So uh, I think Cincinnati wins uh, in week two. What say you, Josh?
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to pick Cincinnati at this point, just based on what I saw Sunday. But, you know, looking at the Houston Texans, it's not any better. So uh, fans in general could just be looking at it in a, a pretty horrible game in terms of football to watch on Thursday night. But um, I, too, will take the Bengals. I think, uh, well, first of all, it benefits the Browns because the Browns have Houston's first and second round picks this coming year. But, um, you know, it's, Cincinnati has too much talent on the offensive side of the ball to be as bad as what they what they showed on Sunday. I think Andy Dalton is at least an average quarterback, so he needs to show more than what he showed on Sunday. Uh, you know, his, his poor offensive line play is obviously a big part of those struggles. Um, you know, he's got a, a trio of running backs that are pretty talented. He's got A.J. Green uh, for the time being. He's got Tyler Eifert. Um, it doesn't look like they're going to have John Ross this week, but there are enough weapons to go around that they should at least look like an NFL team this week. It was, you know, we didn't see that last week against against the Ravens. I didn't
0: We didn't either. But, yeah, I, I think that they do. I will say this. It'll be an intense game, especially for a week two. It, it's, I mean, it's not a winner or else. It, it's not. I mean, but like we said, when you're in a division with Pittsburgh and Baltimore, you don't want to fall behind, uh, you know, by two games. If we're going to assume – the even if even if Baltimore loses the game, just, you know that they're going to be around. I mean, they didn't have a very great team last year, and they were around until, like, until the end. Um, so let's go ahead, too. So we both have so, – so far, Josh, we're predicting all the same thing. So let's see what happens with the Pittsburgh one. They play Minnesota. Minnesota, again, looked very impressive on both sides of the ball. The rookie running back played great. You know, Bradford, you know – I'm gonna be dating myself a little bit here. He kind of reminds me of like a, like a Jim Plunkett, like a guy that like was a was a Heisman winner in college, and then just was on the wrong team early in his career. He was good, but like never lived up to expectations. And then late in his career, when he got into his late 20s, early 30s, started having success, and then and eventually won two Super Bowls. I'm not saying Bradford's gonna do that, uh, but he looks good. He's an accurate quarterback when he has time to throw. He's very fragile. He's very brittle. I remember. When he was in college at Oklahoma, thinking he was very small and that he'd have to bulk up, he really never bulked up. I mean, he probably did a little bit, but he still looks small to me. Especially also, I'm used to watching Big Ben every Sunday, so that's a different story. But I like the Steelers in this one. A seven and a half, seven point spread is is a lot for you know a team a team as good as as the Vikings. But the Steelers are historically very very good uh, in you know at home in Week One at Heinz Field. They are the second best winning percentage since 0-1 in week one, or in their home opener, uh, and that's, you know, 01 was the year, obviously, the Heinz Field was erected. So I like the Steelers in this game. I expect them to play, uh, you know, a lot better in terms of distributing the ball to Bell, not having as many penalties, and, and getting other weapons involved. You know, I was really surprised that, that Eli Rogers was pretty much a no-show on Sunday. You know, I, I, I kind of expected Martavis to be sluggish. Um, I did not expect Eli Rogers to be as bad as he was, so I, I expect him to get better. You know, the Steelers' offensive line is going to have their work cut out for them for a second week in a row because the Vikings are very stout against the run. I don't think it will be easy, but I think the Steelers win. I think it's going to be a lower-scoring game, uh, but I think the Steelers do get it done, and they improve the 2-0 on the season with the Ravens.
1: Yeah, I hate to uh, agree with you just for the sake of an entertainment value, but, uh, you know, for me it really came down to just kind of – You know the home field advantage. I I think Minnesota was very impressive in their Week One victory um, against the Saints, especially on the road. So, uh, you know that was that was a really good showing for that team, and I think they have a very bright future this year as a a possible sleeper contender. But uh, you know it's tough to beat Pittsburgh at home, so I would suspect that Pittsburgh probably comes out with the victory in this one, but. You know, I think Minnesota is definitely a team to watch in the NFC moving forward as we, you know, get closer to the playoffs later this year. So, like you said,
0: we'll, I'm sure we'll have different picks as the year goes along. With yeah, I I would agree. I think that the, uh, you know, we both have the Steelers winning. We both have the Ravens winning. We both have the Bengals winning. And uh, that concludes our breakdown of the AFC North, looking back at week one and looking ahead to week two. On one final note, Josh, before we get you out of here and we wrap this uh, edition of the AFC North podcast up, I know you're an Indian, I think you're an Indians fan, and they won their 21st game in a row today. Are they, is this the year the Indians win the World Series?
1: I think you'd be hard-pressed to find another team that's as complete as the Indians are this season, um, especially lately. I, I think their bullpen is just, you know, doing phenomenal right now, especially without Andrew Miller, who's supposed to come back tomorrow, uh, Thursday, that is. Um, you've got the, the hitting is, is the best in the, in, in the, the entire MLB right now. Um, you know, their starting pitching has the best ERA. So, uh, you know, they're not making errors on defense. They had their first infield error of September today. So, uh, you know, they really have all of the makings to be a World Series team. It's just a matter of, you know, getting the job done because you're going to see a a very talented uh, Boston team this year, possibly a very talented Houston team, Uh, and that's before you even match up with the the National League. So uh, it definitely benefits Cleveland to be ending the season on a strong note the way they are. Um, I'm obviously a big fan of Tito Francona. I think he navigated the postseason about as well as any coach has last year with, You know, his pitchers, his starting pitchers not going deep into the games. He would turn to Andrew Miller for for some innings on on multiple bases. Um, You know, and we'll see who the the Indians are able to get back between now and then. Like I said, Andrew Miller comes back tomorrow. Um, You've got Michael Brantley, the all-star center fielder, who's still out. You've got Jason Kipnis, um, the all-star second baseman, who could actually come back and play center field. Um, just because Jose Ramirez is playing so well at second base. Um, and then you, you've you got Danny Salazar that's uh, probably coming back soon, too. So um, just a very talented team right now. They're clicking on all cylinders. Uh, it's tough to really find a weakness with them at this point. It's it's just a matter of, of how long this streak is going to continue. Um, they start a series at home with the Kansas City Royals tomorrow, but – they're still within striking distance of the Dodgers for the best record in baseball. So uh, if they're able to continue this strong approach towards the playoffs, uh, then it's very possible that, you know, they'll they'll be able to get that first spot in, in the playoffs in home field advantage throughout. So uh, that would definitely be a huge boost for a team that, uh, you know, is really trying to, to show that last year was kind of a fluke in terms of uh, losing that game seven because they did blow a 3-1 lead to the to the Cubs in the World Series, but um, just very impressive team right now. I don't think there's a better team than baseball. Um, so we'll, we'll see if they're able to complete uh, this deal. It's obviously very impressive, the winning streak that they're on, but we live in a culture where if you don't win the World Series, if you don't win the championship in your respective sport, then everything else is kind of forgotten. So, uh, you know, hopefully they're able to pull it through. Not only for, you know, for my sake, but uh, just for their sake as well, because I can imagine that losing two World Series uh, in back-to-back years coming that close is probably not good for confidence. So, um, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they do, but it's definitely a very good baseball team as we get close to October. Well, you know, uh, the Pirates are
0: out. They've walked the plank. So I'll be uh, behind the, the Indians as they uh, they look to win their first World Series in nearly 70 years. And, hey, only five games away or six games away from breaking five from tying the all-time baseball winning record. So uh, we're behind you in Pittsburgh. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll rule, we'll rule tribe here as, uh, as Cleveland-Pittsburgh fans can find some common ground on the baseball diamond because you know they're not going to on the gridiron. So, hey, Josh, thanks again. It's always fun, and we'll be back next week for the next installment of the 24-7 Sports AFC North podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Brian.